Hello and welcome to the Tai Chi Notebook Podcast. My name is Graham Barlow and I've been practicing martial arts for over 25 years now. On this podcast, I talk to some of the people I've met and trained with over that time. In this episode, I catch up with my old friend, student and sparring partner, Paul Bowman. Paul is a professor of cultural studies at Cardiff University. He's the author of several books on martial arts, including several about Bruce Lee, and most recently, The Invention of Martial Arts, Popular Culture Between Asia and America, which was published by Oxford University Press in 2020. Paul also helped establish the Academic Journal of Martial Arts Studies and organised conferences for the Martial Arts Studies Research Network. In this chat, we reminisce about our times training together, talk about Paul's recent discovery of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and discuss the emergent field of martial arts studies. As you join us, we've just finished a training session in Jiu-Jitsu and are sitting down with a nice cup of tea and a biscuit for a chat. How very British. Hello, Paul Bowman. Um, welcome to the podcast, third episode of the Titan Network podcast. You're my third guest. How does it feel? <laughs> Hello, Graham Barlow. Um, <laughs> it feels excellent because we're actually physically face to face, which is, it's like in the before times. It's like actually yeah. hanging out with people. <laughs> so it feels it feels like a major event. I know. And we've just done some like physical training as well. Yes. So yes. obviously you put me through my paces <laughs> a bit um, on the jujitsu mats. I mean your 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 reverse Delahima to oh. Baron Bolo was just spectacular. Yeah, right? I, I pretend I, I'm I'm constantly just monitoring and pretending that I'm considerably worse than I actually am. <laughs> 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 Yes. Well, you con me into into yeah. falling into your trap. I just I just refuse to be graded to the belt that I deserve. Um, surely I deserve a stripe at least. <laughs> but, is that what this is all about? Yeah, this is this is this is like I'm trying trap. to ingratiate myself with the, <laughs> the Gracie Baja community so that I can be promoted for uh, celebrity reasons. You haven't done enough social media posting to deserve a stripe yet, Paul. I think you really need to up your game. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the reason I, I took up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, is because yeah. it was more real than other martial arts, because there's more photography in it. <laughs> Way more photography. In fact, your daughter took some photos. She did, well, I commanded her to, like, you know, because the event has to have happened, and the only way it can happen is if I post online about, yeah. about training. Otherwise so, it's not real. Yeah, exactly. That reality is the simulacrum. You are decked head to toe, Gracie Baja training gear, yep. so I will give you points for that. <laughs> <laughs> not stripe, but you're halfway there to a stripe. Well, I thought you might punish, punish me if uh, if I didn't have my Gracie kit on. So yeah, it's very important. So um, we've known each other for a long time. I'm trying to think when we met each other. Was it? I would. I'd say it was maybe nineteen or twenty years ago. I was. I'd been working at Bath Spa. It was my first lectureship job, and I. I was learning Tai Chi off a guy there, kind of strange old hippie guy. Yeah. And and then I got a new job at Roehampton in southwest London, so I couldn't train with him anymore. And actually, he recommended that I check out you guys at, at Bath Tai Chi. So um, so I came along, and I was instantly hooked on the. the we went straight away in, into the. The, the kind of ethereal world of, um, of push hands, which was, because <laughs> I tried, I've done Tai Chi in lots of different places and, you know, you know, these kind of aborted false starts that you have with Tai Chi and push hands was almost mythical stuff. But on lesson one, I remember you said to Steve, who was there, he said, let's go straight to two hands with Paul. So we did <laughs> straight away lesson one, double, two handed push hands and I just loved it. And then the Choi Lee foot, first lesson of that, I loved it, I was hooked. And we trained every Monday, 
mm. some Wednesday and Friday lunchtimes for a good many years. Yeah, we used to meet up in the park, didn't we, at lunchtimes? Yeah. And just have a bit of a scrap, and then yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yes. I go back to work, and you go back to <laughs> whatever it was you did. Yeah. Uh, no, that was great. Teaching it's, students, probably. Yeah, it was, um, it was fabulous. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a great time. Um, but then uh, you... So what happened really was that I really catastrophically broke my ankle, mm. and that really screwed up any anything tai chi like and it really made kung fu hard impossible and then you switched to brazilian jiu-jitsu so eventually you stopped teaching the class so i just stopped going because i would turn up injured lame mm. and pay my five pounds and then be expected to teach a class and you weren't even there so it was just like <laughs> what the hell's going on here so then yeah i went rolling for a few years i think i would have followed you straight away into brazilian jiu-jitsu had it not been for my ankle injury yeah, because you were, I mean, you were on crutches for ages, weren't you, as well? Yeah, the, prob- the problem was the, the dislocation. It really made any kind of low stances very, very, very difficult. So you don't want to bob up and down when you're doing Tai Chi, but yeah. for a long time, it, it took me you know, a long time to, to stabilise that. A lot of standard Qigong to try and you know, improve the elasticity in the scar tissue so I could yeah, actually just sink. You're telling me that the standard Qigong really it really helped. did. Yeah, because over time you protect one side of your body, so little things like standing up and sitting down, I would be using my other leg for all yes, that. Yeah. And the standing qigong makes you just have to balance equally, equally on each side, yeah. and, and you kind of relearn standing up and sitting down, um, which which it, it was really it was really therapeutic and really helpful for me. I'd never really bothered too much with qigong before that. Yeah, I think I'd have tried to persuade you to start jujitsu earlier. And you did, but your your ankle just seemed to be yeah. awfully injured, and in a way that I thought that jujitsu was probably dangerous for you to do. You just end up injuring yeah. it again. Well, it, it well, I mean, it probably wasn't. You know, I, as you know, I went kind of rolling for a few years, and and I just was doing things, just training with anyone who trained with me, punching, kicking, pad, sparring, and then I discovered a screamer, mm. and a screamer is really high stances. It's almost like the the stance is almost like the kind of like the wrestler stance but almost like the start of a running race and it was a lot easier than any kung fu and it was all stand up and it was all quite nimble on the toes rather than crunching down low um and that served me well but yeah and then you were into a screamer so i never really tried to persuade you to start jujitsu because you kind of had something you were doing yeah and i did want to learn with weapons i'd, I'd always wanted to learn double sticks so in your screamer you've got the two foot sticks and I always, for, for so long, ever since I first saw anything like that, I was like, I've got to learn how to do that. Yeah. And, what I, and, and I really, and I learned how to do it, and I, I loved the weapons work, but I never got into blades, I never got into the, a lot of the trainers with like training machetes and things, I just hate that. I hate, I hate, hate, hate. And I think it's because in my head, I've, I've always been clear to myself that I would never hit someone with a knife. It's just like, it's, no. it's not me. I'm, I don't want to hold one. I don't want to wield one, but I have no qualms about hitting someone with a stick. <laughs> that's my that's my ethics. It's more so. honourable, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then then eventually, just before the pandemic, I really wanted something new. I really wanted a new challenge, and that's when I went to jujitsu and thought, "This is it. This is great." Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just the way things have to work out. But it's it's funny that uh, you know I started Tai Chi, then you started Tai Chi. 
<laughs> I started jiu-jitsu. And then you started jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's like, you know, at some point we'll sink, but like we're not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would. I think that it might have been okay for me to start Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it's so on the ground. It's so much on the ground that, and, and, and all the ankle stuff comes later. I think, yeah. but, I, but yeah. I can't remember. I put myself back in that, that time frame. You couldn't touch my ankle. It was like an off switch for me. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I just couldn't imagine you yeah, you're right. being in a rolling situation where there's some guy's weight on you. and mm, yeah. You, yeah. If you can't even touch your ankle, let yes. alone anything, having to push off with it, you know, yeah. forget it. Yeah, you're right. It's fine. It's fine to be but it's better a decade now. behind you. <laughs> it, 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 when I've, I just had a roll with you now and there's, there's no hint that you've got an injury at no. all, which is quite nice. Yeah. It's good. It's life. It's fine. It's, you know, to keep learning at, at 50 years old and be a white belt again and start Yeah, but then right. you started jiu-jitsu just when it became banned because yep. of the pandemic, which was perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was probably lucky because, like anything, I, I, I was really obsessive with it. So I started in the November or December 2019 and I just became instantly obsessed and I was training any time, where I was going to different clubs everywhere, every lunchtime, yeah, I and I was instantly injured. Like <laughs> so, actually, when lockdown came in about March, I needed it. <laughs> needed I, would, I would have, I wouldn't have been able to train because I would have just been taking painkillers and training and getting more injured until you actually properly injured yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, I prop- so I come back to it now, and I'm just grateful that there are classes. So I just go twice a week, and be thankful. Yes. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I mean that's 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 all you need. Yeah. Compared to not being able to do it at all, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that's how we know each other. Yep. Um, and then while while we were doing Tai Chi together, you started to get more and more into um writing about martial arts. Yeah. Um, and I think it it, it kind of started with Bruce Lee. Yeah. Is that where it started? It it kind of did. Um, so. Uh, my practice, my Tai Chi practice with, with you and with, with other instructors before that, um, I, I mean, I became more and more interested in the status and place of martial arts in, you know, kind of British everyday life uh, and, yeah. and what, what do people understand and think about martial arts. And for a long time, I wanted to work on and write about martial arts but in terms of media studies cultural studies which is what I do and if when I look back through my old files on my computer I've got dozens of like aborted projects where I was trying from about 2000 through to about 2007 to come up with a way that I would be able to do some academic study and academic writing about martial arts but I didn't have the kind of I don't have the historical knowledge I don't have the linguistic knowledge I don't I'm not an anthropologist I'm not an ethnographer I'm not a sociologist so eventually I realized that I needed to hang it on something to do with media because that's what I'm trained mm-hmm. in I'm trained in media analysis and, and, and film analysis and television analysis and so on and so I, I hooked it on all on the status of Bruce Lee who wasn't actually that big a part of my like fantasy life but then I wrote a book about Bruce Lee and everyone thinks that a I'm a Bruce Lee fanatic and a Bruce Lee expert and a film studies person but it was never about it wasn't a book about Bruce Lee films and it wasn't like I love Bruce Lee therefore that's all I have to write about it was more about if you think about the status of this film actor and martial artist and the impact of his films on the 
the, the world and the life and the beliefs and, and the practices of so many people from the 1970s. You know, he was the generation saying just before us. So, so we grew up always knowing Bruce Lee, always knowing about Kung Fu. And, we, and so that, you know, it, it impacted on us. And, and it had a huge influence uh, in our lives and the generation just before us. So it was more about that, like the mm. impact of a film on your life, like a, a fiction film, a fantasy film, an action film, and how it can change your life. And you can become obsessed with wanting to do spinning kicks and, and death touches. And, and you know, you, 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 you fantasize about this stuff. So... You know, these fantasies aren't fake. These fantasies have real effects. You know, you, you watch a Bruce Lee film, you come out and you, you want to be doing jumping, spinning, back kicks. And, and you join a Kung Fu club, don't and you? And you join a Kung Fu club. And you and it, so it, it, it kind of, it's like you become kind of infected with this this fantasy that that impacts on your behaviour. And that's an entire generation, internationally, mm. all around the world. So Bruce Lee was the start of it for me. But it was less about Bruce Lee and more about the way that he put into circulation and wider knowledge that these possibilities like you can be this if you just try it mm. that's the kind of message it might be fake and it might not be true but you could be invincible all you need to do is train mm. you just need to do this stuff and so I, that was where it began for me and i wrote the book and then which one was that the first book that i wrote the first kind of um, analysis that i did was in a book called deconstructing popular culture and i just wrote a chapter on on Bruce Lee, mm -hmm. and then I loved it so much that I wrote a book called Theorising Bruce Lee, mm -hmm. and then that took so long to appear, it took about three or four years to actually physically appear. By that stage I'd written another book essentially from conference papers and other things that I'd been thinking, and that was the second book which was called Beyond Bruce Lee, and by that stage we were getting close to um, the birth of, of what we now call martial arts studies. Yes, but you also got... You also got taken to New York, wasn't it, to be in a film about? I did. That was a bit. That was a bit later. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was the ultimate jolly. <laughs> that was that was that was fabulous. Actually, that was. Um, I think I take this as a, a lesson in the value of open access publishing. So, about a nanosecond after my theorizing Bruce Lee was published. PDFs appeared online of it. So the book itself cost about 30, 40 quid, right? Yeah, they're quite expensive. Like, but know, but someone, that. somewhere in the publishers had leaked a PDF online. Yeah. And so I went, oh, okay, fair enough. You know, I never make any royalties on anything anyway. So I just sort of put the PDF on my website as well and on, and people put it everywhere. It was a free download. And then this, and immediately, therefore, you, I started getting loads of emails from weirdos and freaks saying, you know, who, who would have won in a fight, Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali? Leave me alone. Um, and then, but then eventually his film director um, contacted me and said, and I thought it was it's the you because I had the BBC and people like that contacting me. And what they want to do is milk you for information and then yeah. don't give you any credit or anything, or yeah. no jolly of any kind. Yeah, I've had the BBC but, do yeah. the same to me. They, just, actually, they phone yeah. you every day and they go, so another thing I've been thinking, do you know about this? And you go, yes. Yeah. And then they, and, and you go, can I have a researcher's credit on this programme? And they say, no. They're very entitled. <laughs> they, they say, they say they start their conversation with, it's so-and-so from the BBC, as yeah. if that means you will yeah. now help me. Won't take up too much of your time, and then three hours later, you're still yeah. going, oh. I've done, I've yeah. done radio interviews that were half an hour long, about, like, a because I mean, my area is technology. Hmm about a technology subject and they literally used five seconds yeah. of it which is me saying one thing <laughs> yeah. and then uh, but we did a whole half hour interview what like what was the point of that yeah. what did I get out of that nothing 
Yeah. But I got I got a free jolly to, to New York. So yeah, this you, guy you get said, a jolly to New York. This guy said, we've got, we've, we've got a Skype. So we Skyped and, and then he said, we're doing this documentary um, and, but we, and we wanted to come to, we wanted to come to England, <laughs> but we couldn't. So um, will you, will you, shame. So the closest we get to England is New York. Will you come to New York? And I was like, oh. Oh, I don't know, let me just check my diary. Yeah. Let me Are check you paying? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, me and my daughter flew to New York on the... This was the Sunday. Then it was all confirmed by the Wednesday. We flew on the Friday. We had the weekend to, to get orientated. Then we filmed on the Monday. Mm. Then we flew back. And it was I, I think that's even on... I think it's on YouTube now. Is it? I'm, I'm, I'm Bruce Lee. I'm yeah. Bruce Lee, the film. Yeah. But, yeah, you're very good, isn't it? But it was, so the director was going, I want to call this I Am Bruce Lee, but the producers want to call it something like really boring. It was mm. something else like Bruce Lee, the man, the legend, the myth. Yeah. Blah, blah. Um, and, and he said, so if you f feel like at any stage you want to say the words I Am Bruce Lee, <laughs> that might help me. So I, I found a way to say that. And then I was the only person in the film who said I Am Bruce Lee. So. I <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, you cunning devil, you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so um, so the Bruce Lee period of your career, <laughs> shall we, shall we call it? It kind of leads into martial arts studies, which is, yeah. I, I, I called it a discipline the other day, and you went, no, it's a field of study. Yeah. So, what, what exactly is martial arts studies? So, um, I first read the term in a book, um, that was called something like Asian tradition. It was called Embodied Knowledge: Asian Traditions in a in a Transnational World or something, and it's edited by. Doug Farah and uh, John Whalen Bridge and and they talked about martial arts studies and what they'd done is they'd looked around the range of styles of studying and writing about martial arts across the disciplines mm. so you've got anthropological approaches history approaches you've got some media approaches and so on and they just sort of looked at that and said well that's all different kinds of martial arts studies and I thought that's a cool term actually that's the kind of thing I need to mm. organise my thinking so I um, was editor of a journal and I said let's do an issue called martial arts studies so I just kind of put up, put up a flag call for papers circulated it around the internet and on mailing lists and everything martial arts studies how do we study martial arts you know what across the disciplines and what's the place of media in martial arts and it, it was a brilliant issue still available online uh, if you go to Cardiff University Press you find uh, issue 5 of Jalmec Journal and it's there great stuff and then it was really exciting. We decided we'd try and have a conference. Mm. So I organised a conference for the following... And at the time, I was also writing a book, which I thought, I'll call this book Martial Arts Studies, and it'll be about what what, what would martial arts studies be? Um, because, you know, how do you study them? The dominant way to study martial arts, as as you know, the, the, the most accessible way is historically. So people want to know what's the true history. Lineage. So, so, what's the, so people want to know their lineage... But even people who want to know their lineage get a bit fixated on the kind of mythos of that. So they mm. might be check, tracing it back to mythical ancestors or the Shaolin Temple. Or, but then there's the... So that's more like lineage fetishism. But then there's actually the historical studies. So people will look at, like, how did this stuff actually develop? Like, what's the complex social and military and economic situations that make these things happen? And then there's the kind of anthropological or, or ethnographic approaches, which... Um, involve people going off and studying and going in this culture in you know Singapore or Shanghai or wherever this group of blah 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 they behave like this and they believe this and they do this 
Um, but I was quite interested in getting the sort of media and cultural studies approach. Like these are massive media texts in our lives. Most mm. of our introductions to martial arts were through, um, was through some films. I mean, nowadays it's through computer games, but for us it was films, television programs like Kung Fu, yeah. you know, Monkey, all of this stuff. This was where we learned about Asian martial arts. Um, and later on it was Chuck Norris and you know Van Damme and, <laughs> but so but people dismiss that and discount it as unimportant because it's not real so mm. but I think that it, it is real because it just is it's the thing that animates it's like that it becomes the engine that drives your your passion mm -hmm. like to do it the perfect kick like Bruce Lee would do to do the, the perfect technique like Chuck Norris or Steven Seagal or whoever it was would do um, so I, I decided that the way forward was to pull people together and to say this is let's expose our different styles of scholarship to each other yeah and so, so anthropologists learn from historians yeah. learn from psychologists learn from well-being and health people learn from media people. a bit like Wayne's World isn't it if you, if you build it they will come yeah or like Kumite <laughs> <laughs> yes. but they don't seem to argue very much like you, you'd ex I don't know, you half expect a group of martial artists to, to get together and then to all start disagreeing furiously. But they seem very harmonious when, when, I, when I've seen yeah, them all talking. I think you came to the, the second conference. Second conference, yeah. For a bit. The first conference was a bit like the Wild West. and I, I had How was some, it? You no, know, it was great and everybody was lovely but nobody knew each other and, and there were things like, you know, there were kind of groups of people would turn up. So like, because in Germany they'd been doing martial arts studies in... Uh, in German, for a good five years beforehand, they, they were having annual conferences, they had grants, they had everything. Um, and then there's also, you know, obviously in, in, in East Asia, they've got what, what you might translate as martial arts studies, a very well-established academic field. So people came over and were like, well, who the hell are you? And what the hell's going on? Who do you think you are? Everyone was smiley and, and, mm -hmm. and friendly. But it was sometimes a bit macho as well. Okay. That I, got, I got reports of, of people being a little bit too macho um, and so by the time the next the next year came everyone knew each other a lot more they were a lot more relaxed about it a lot more friendly yeah that's what I went to yeah and so in this uh, that one as well I think we were doing things like um, push hands in the morning I think yeah Ad Adam Frank was there and Adam Frank is the author of a great book called um, Tai Chi Chuan and the Little Old Chinese Man it's yeah I just listened to his talk yesterday actually he's one of the identity yeah that he gave. Yeah. Very and, good. And so that was a that was a really great conference. But the, my interest has always been in bringing people together to interact with each other. A lot of people beforehand, and still today, they like to produce a little kingdom mm -hmm. and go, this, you join this club, you pay these fees, and you and I'll give you a position in the, on the committee of... And it's like, no, we don't need that. What we need is to have a, a very broad-ranging discussion across universities, across disciplines, so that we can, we can produce the best scholarship possible mm. and we can escape from the kind of pathetic mythological stuff and, and, and the, you know, the, a lot of the macho stuff that you still do get. And a lot of the what you call Orientalism, where people kind of fantasise about misty mountains and ancient China and, you know, you know, hermits living up hills, and that's where it all comes from. We get away from that. That that's a good thing. Yeah. So a lot of that though is is, you know, I'm thinking of taekwondo now, <laughs> but it's, it's like government funded, isn't it? Yeah. To, to to have this imaginary lineage, 
that never existed. Well, this, I mean, Taekwondo is a, is a, a very interesting example because it's, you can say, you can say anything you like about Taekwondo, but um, it's funded by the South Korean government. It's funded by Samsung. It's it's that the major kind of export and kind of tourist import of South Korea. It's a hugely important economic identity, and it's connected with Korean national identity. So it's all about PR. It's all about mm-hmm. like you know the international status of South Korea. It was I mean someone shared a thing online the other day. You probably saw it. It was the 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 the, the display team on um, America's Got Talent. No, it, it was. I mean, it's phenomenal stuff. It's it's ultra acrobatic and, but I mean, it, you know, it, it's a spectacular kind of cash cow for so many different institutions. Yeah. But it's a problematic martial art, as as we all know. But I think it speaks the truth of martial arts in the way that Scientology speaks the truth of religion. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it, it's equivalent to sort of Scientology. So it's just speaking the truth, not in the way they think it is. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's a really interesting study. I think. <laughs> the Scientology of martial arts. There you go, we're making friends all over the world. We are. Podcast, aren't <laughs> this we? is what it's about, it's diplomacy. Yeah, friendship. Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, I love Taekwondo and I know, you know, some of my best friends do Taekwondo. You know, that kind of yeah. class. I, 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 I used to do Taekwondo. But it's a really interesting and really clear study about the, the importance of martial arts in certain contexts. We don't have anything like it in Britain, but in Japan, in China, in South Korea, in other countries, you know, these will be na- in you know the Philippines. These will be national. They're national sports, national arts, funded, hugely important, crucial for national identity and narratives of history and so on. We don't have that in Britain. No, we don't have anything like that, do we? Not really. No. We have. We have. You know, we've had our own cultural, like the Beatles, you yeah. know, and our music. That was like a cultural export that had a kind of soft power. Yeah. Um, but we don't have anything that's martial arts related, do we, really? No, I mean, you know, there's, there's the long history of boxing and, um, you know, maybe wrestling, but it's, it's, not, it's, it's not central to our national narrative yeah. in any way that's sustained by... I mean, in South Korea, they'd, I've written lots about this as well, they, they do wonderful things, like they, they kind of... There was an older martial art called Taekyeon, yeah, and they kind of fund that Which you studied. Well. Which I, I went to South Korea and had a had a, had a go in it. Yes, yeah, I saw great. you wearing the um, wearing the Tekion outfits. Yeah, oh, I've got an honorary black belt in Tekion. A black belt, oh, honorary black belt. You got promoted quickly, I did. You? <laughs> and honestly, the, so I got to the class early, and because I was a visiting dignitary, because I'd just been at a conference there, the guy decked me up in this strange, strange uniform. Looked a bit put, like a later host. Yeah. Or <laughs> and put a black belt, put black sash around my waist, and then his students taught turn up, and they were like. And then we started training. Yeah. Like black belt. <laughs> then, they, then we started training, and I was absolutely useless. And they were just like mystified. Like, <laughs> so this guy's turned up in a black belt. He yeah. can't do the first thing. And he's got his uniform on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. I, I loved. I would. I think I would study that if I went. If I was in South Korea, really interesting footwork. Like the, you know, there's. People talk about using your feet as hands, but it was almost like 
from you're always standing and the flexibility is amazing. But it's not like taekwondo where you're jumping around and fly and kicking and everything. Mm. You're just sort of like folding you up as if you've got like a big cardboard box and you're just trying to fold it so you can get it in the bin. Mm. It's essentially what he did to me for an hour and a half. <laughs> just stamped on me. Just, just folded me up and then I'll get back up and you know and but his the hands were very much like um it's like if you interact with someone who do, who knows you know Wing Chun or 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 Tai Chi that kind of and you're going for that more of a push handsy or or sticky hands type thing really heavy it, there's no kind of pugilistic whack kind of it's just sinking and weight mm. and that kind of whole body involvement in in crushing somebody up like they're a piece oh, of paper nice. or something yeah but that sounds completely unlike Taekwondo doesn't it very very different from Taekwondo but it's meant to be the historical ancestor but it sort of isn't because sort of isn't, because is it? The, I mean <laughs> you know it's like saying it it's what it is, it's it's you know confirmation bias, isn't it? It's mm. the history of Taekwondo, as lots of people have shown, like you know Alex Gillis and um, and like uh, Udo Mernig have written these histories of Taekwondo, which show that it was a post Japanese invention, um, because all the Korean soldiers and officers they'd all been taught Japanese martial arts because of the the Japanese occupation. They all yeah. knew Shotokan, they all knew a bit of different forms of Jiu-Jitsu, and. And when the Japanese left, the Koreans hated them so much that they had to try and obscure that and make and say, no, this is, what we're doing now is, is indigenous. So they look back and there's, there is a thing called Taekyung with big kicks. And so they go, oh, well, that's what this is then. So we'll, we'll do these original authentic kicks. But it's not. It's just, it, it starts off as a flashy anti-Japanese Shotokan. Yeah, yeah. And it goes from there, um, yeah. which is understandable. National trauma, isn't it? It of, is. Of the, it's, it's trying to process the trauma of war, isn't it? All that kind of stuff. And they've had that whole idea. It's a post kind of. It's kind of like a post-colonial problem, which you've seen in all countries that have been colonised. The, the different things have been done with their history. The language has been changed. The the archives have been eradicated or controlled by by someone else. So you see in India, you see in all these formerly colonised places where you go well. They've eradicated our history. They 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 they've cut off these organic traditions, and changed them in different ways. What the hell do we do? How do we how do we invent ourselves as a nation? And I think unfortunately the South Koreans kind of just decided to say, well, all the good stuff in Japan actually originally came from South Korea, <laughs> and we taught yeah. kendo to the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we designed the swords. They stole it from they us. They stole it from us. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully they'll. You know, and, and it's been going so long. Uh, traditions that you could always find some point in history where there was a famous Korean sword maker. Yeah, yeah. it was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and it's the same in China as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Chinese nationalism is is the the driving force of many of the claims made about Chinese martial arts. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing that strikes about China about martial arts studies is there's always seems to be two sides to it. There's the the Asian martial arts and then there's the European martial arts yeah. and your most recent book um, just find me the title oh the, that was uh, The Invention of Martial Arts The Invention of Martial there Arts yeah there's a copy yeah, yeah that's the one um, so in there you're, you're, you're kind of arguing that by martial arts we mean Asian martial arts by the term yeah. are, are they uh, and but at the same time there's all these sort of people reenacting European things with suits of armour and swords and stuff. Yeah. Um, talk us through that. So, so in the past, people have criticised me because when I've said, used the term martial arts, I've always implicitly meant 
Asian martial arts, the stuff that we saw in the late 60s and early 70s, and all the way through where it was ninjas and, mm. and kung fu and karate and and that, and people have said, but hang on, all cultures have is it all lives matter? All cultures have <laughs> all martial have, arts matter. Yeah, all martial arts matter exactly. <laughs> um, um, all cultures um, have their martial traditions, and and my response is like, well, yeah, yes, yes, I know that, but the very term martial art really entered popular culture popular knowledge and popular discourse in the wake of asian martial arts and it, the term you can't really find it being used much before the 60s in the so martial arts is a literal direct translation of the japanese term bugei it means martial art right mm. but so it is used and i've got some old books up here that from the 60s in which people are talking about martial arts but they're talking about japanese martial arts so they're using a literal translation of the japanese term yeah but until about 1973 you don't see that term becoming the umbrella organizing term of what people are doing so people might do jiu-jitsu they might do judo they might do karate they might do whatever it is they might do but they don't think of that as a martial art as such it's only really in the early 70s that people start to group all these things together as an, a thing called martial arts mm. and that in the first instance referred to Asian martial arts the stuff that we are seeing in films and in on the in the Avengers and uh, on television um, and then it becomes the term that organizes the way people think about these things so it has a lot of cultural baggage and a lot of connotations and yes of course you there, there are long European traditions and traditions that can be resurrected and then you've got pancration and you've got all these different things but the term martial arts really wasn't in circulation before Bruce Lee. So again, Bruce, mm. and probably Bruce Lee's work should be credited as being a huge influence, like a huge driver of that. So the posters for End of the Dragon say it's the first American-produced martial arts spectacular. And then in his earlier film, Way of the Dragon, he's talking to his, you know, his cousin or girl or love interest, I can't remember who, who she is, and he's going, every day I practice martial arts <laughs> and he did, he's working out and showing off his torso and it wasn't even people even experts like Don Drager and people like this weren't using the term in titles of their books before 1973 mm. so that presumably is it's like a term just catches on like people start using a term yeah and you can't quite place the origin of it but in all the historical archival research that I've done it's not it's a Yes, it is a specialist term. It's a literal translation of a Japanese term, but it's not being used the way that we uh, use it now. Yeah. Or we have used it since about 1973. It's, it's what I call a discursive entity. Like, it's a new thing that you can be. You can be a martial artist, like you can be a hipster. Mm. You know, you can't be a punk before, what, 1977. You can't be... Yeah, exactly. It's like, of course you could have been, but there's no name for what that yeah. thing was, and yeah. you didn't identify it as it. Um, so yeah so it's, it's a term that I've tried to be clear about I'm not saying I never say that no one was doing martial arts before the 70s that's mm. not the point that's not what you mean is it it sort of changes in status yeah um, it's like there's always in one sense there's always been MMA but there wasn't MMA until until it caught on as a thing called MMA yeah thanks to the thanks to the presenters of, of the UFC who started to talk about Mixed martial arts. Yeah, see, this is a, 
another discussion. I've oh, had you've had this discussion before, haven't with, you? With Byron. Yeah. Because um, he's the guy on my previous podcast. Mm. He um, He's involved in the Wushu Federation. who's trying to get Wushu into the Olympics. And he was he's this he writes books of what he what he was doesn't do it anymore but he was writing books of rules about styles mm. things that you know are, are allowed and you know in, in a competition format what, here are the rules and you have to write them in a kind of very legal sort of way mm. um, we're having a discussion about whether martial whether MMA was a style mm. or a format mm-hmm. and my argument was it's now a style because it's a thing mm-hmm. and it's quite similar to what you're saying about yeah, MMA may have existed, but it wasn't a thing until until yeah. it enters the popular yeah. Yeah. popular consciousness. And uh, like today, you could say, "I'm going to my MMA class," yeah. and it doesn't sound wrong. Yeah. Whereas you don't go, you don't say, "I'm going to my MMA rules class." <laughs> 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 it's true. It becomes it becomes a hybrid identity. Everything is a sort of hybrid identity. You know, before they were calling it MMA, they were, they were using different terms that you know there were all these like shoot fighters and, and this and that shoot sort box shooty box there was, also, yeah, thing, there was all sorts of things um yeah but um it, it's a term it catches on and i guess in in the context of a of a kind of three letter or three syllable fetishistic association like the ufc yeah. then mma well, is gonna work it was it was originally called cage fighting that's yeah. what people called it until Bare the ufc just sort of yeah. that the the media image of people fighting in cages yeah. has to be avoided at all costs. So all yeah. the UFC, UFC presenters are banned from using the words cage fighting. Yeah. So you're not allowed to say it. So it that term has fallen away. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in so when the first the, the first UFC was nineteen ninety three, and if I, I've done a lot of research so like through the British press, the British media, and they're not using that term MMA until it doesn't really appear in national press until they start to get excited about Conor McGregor. Really? Before that, the, you know, these stories are few and far between in, in the British press and they will talk, they'll, they'll keep talking about cage fighters, bare knuckle cage fighters, no holds barred yeah. cage fighters. Because kids, kids fighting in a cage, yeah. that's, what, that's the most sensationalist like, story you'll find. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, MMA is, is definitely a thing. You can go and I just, well, as soon as you said Conor McGregor and MMA then I, I suddenly thought well that's a, an area for that's ripe for martial arts studies to look at isn't it the you know the MMA becoming a, a thing in the popular consciousness yeah I mean one my um, my uh, PhD student Kyle Barman he's a um, former doctor now Dr Kyle Barman um, he is a kind of MMA obsessive a UFC obsessive and and he's he's constructed that the, the kind of emergence of the, the history of the emergence of that term, and he's, mm. he he looks at the you know the the transcripts of the fights of the of the, of the presenters, and they're scrabbling about for terms to use for it, and eventually they hit upon it, and they're like, oh, this works, and they start to call it mixed martial arts, not just cross training anymore, or, yeah, yeah, or whatever. But yeah, I mean that history is there to be written and disagreed about. And there is plenty of that that goes on. People do just you said we said we don't disagree with each other, but actually I think that there's there's plenty of things that maybe, maybe you don't do it in public. Just maybe <laughs> they do it nicely. I guess. <laughs> I mean, what, I find I find that whenever it's anyone says anything about um, about the UFC or about MMA, there are a lot of people who feel that they have the authoritative knowledge right. that actually 
contradicts that. It's a bit like everyone everyone knows that they are the only people who know the true truth of Tai Chi Chuan. Only my lineage and only my yes. teacher and only my... So I know the Everyone truth. else lost the secrets, but yeah. we kept them. You know. Everything that you say is me. Everything <laughs> that I say is one yeah. truth. So I'm just used to discussion forums on martial arts, not without academics in them. And, and, and it's just like chaos, basically. Mm. You know, It's just people going insane and shouting at each other endlessly. <laughs> Well, c- compared to that, I, th- I find the academic disagreements to be incredibly well, incredibly civilised and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do sometimes get, um, yeah, some rowdiness um, in different contexts. So, so how, I mean, what, what are you going to do, what are you looking at next and how do you get your ideas for uh, what topic to research next? Well, I was, bef- before the pandemic hit, I was personally... Well, there's, there's two ways, there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can either look around and see what's kind of on trend, right? Mm. And you can try and keep up with that, but I find that to be kind of stultifying and a little bit claustrophobic. And I have learned to just go with what I find fascinating. So when I started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I found so many things to do with the, the physical act of. The difference between this training and any other martial arts training I had known mm. to be quite profound and to have a, a, a connection to some really strong identity issues that, that I hadn't really seen people writing about properly. So I was getting ready to, I was, I was going, I was starting to apply for ethical kind of, you know, proceed uh, permission to carry out this sort of research where I was going to be thinking about, you know, the boundaries that are transgressed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are real stuff to do with intimacy, masculinity, pride, arrogance. Mm. And you've got all the different negotiations of friendship. And, uh, and, and so I just found the whole thing to be quite um, uh, compelling. So I was, I was about to do that. And then lockdown came. And I had a crushing identity crisis, as I'm sure. <laughs> so, so everyone, everyone listened to this podcast. Yeah. As well. And then I didn't know what to do. But what, what I found recently to be quite interesting that emerged through lockdown, and this might just be to do with the algorithms within which I am being manipulated and, and, and abused <laughs> yeah, yeah. by social media, yeah, yeah. but was what seems to me to be a real thing rather than a, a simulation is this resurgence of a kind of neo-Orientalist mumbo-jumbo. So instead of... Um, instead of Facebook trying to sell me like um, you know different kind of online Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu courses now, it's trying to sell me Qigong and it's trying to sell me meditation, movement and this kind of weird, weird hippie well-being thing. And I think that we've reached a sort of new stage where in this computer-mediated well-being universe mm. and, and, and mystical orientalist mumbo-jumbo is coming back in a big way. Mm. Um, and so I'm probably, I want, I personally am now more interested in, in looking at this as a phenomenon, okay. a kind of e- sort of pseudo ecological kind of crypto racist, I suppose, like, oh, this comes from the mystical East. I'm interested in the fact that this whole mystical East thing never goes away. Mm. It's like, you, you, you think you've killed it. You think you've bust, busted the myth. Mm. And there it is again, it pops up and it goes, ah, this ancient Qigong that we just invented again in a new way. I've seen some of those, because you sent me some of those videos going, 
my god, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah, like, I think I think what I said was, does this shit turn up in your newsfeed? Yeah, it does. Well? It does turn up in my newsfeed. And then after you tagged me in one of them, it definitely. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. You're welcome. It definitely turned up every day. But but it's it's you can just tell they they don't know what they're doing, and whatever it is they're doing, they're doing wrong, hmm. because they their their postures look wrong. You know, yeah. they're, they're fitness models. Or, yeah, they're, they're or, beautiful young people. Yes. Doing incredible things. Looking incredibly healthy, but they're kind of in all the wrong stances. And yeah. you, you, can, you can just look at someone and tell they don't know what they're doing. They yeah. just don't look like they know what they're doing. The, I, I, it's that thing. It's, it's a weird thing that it's quite easy to see the trick. It's like I also get adverts for palettes. And, and there'll be an advert for like these two pieces of metal or something that you can do, you know, handstands on, holding, like holding two pipes. Yeah, yeah. And you can do like, and, and you know, buy these bits of metal and you'll be like an Olympic gymnast. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that's what's going to happen. It's going to be two more pieces of crap in my shed. Yeah, exactly. Which you won't use. Reminds me of those. Remember David Carradine did a. Yeah. A series of adverts for it was like a, a thing you held in your hand and twisted. Yeah. And it was just a stick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. a t- it was like a Tai Chi stick and you yeah. can, you can, and it was you just go with the flow. And yeah. it, but David, it's just a stick. You're yeah. just holding a stick. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how many people brought that thinking they were gonna achieve enlightenment. Well, at, at at different stages people would, but I mean this is the thing that interests me, the way that there are certain kinds of like if I call them energies, don't think of me as a hippie. I mean, okay. certain you kind of washed along by certain cultural currents and forces where you kind of go, oh, I'll buy that stick. <laughs> that, <laughs> I need that, it in my that, life. That I need makes it. perfect sense to me. Yeah. This thing will provide the answer, but but I'm I'm I always go with my research interests. And my research interests have to come from my actual interests, um, and I think that the moment has passed for me to really marvel and revel in the difference of Brazilian jiu-jitsu I think if I'd been able to do it then yeah 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 but now that's a shame really I mean because I did I, t- I took a lot of notes <laughs> so I think there is so much to talk about in when a beginner starts jiu-jitsu because you, you instantly break down all the societal barriers you've built up your whole life about physically being close to somebody yeah and uh, and then also there's someone trying to kill you at the same time yeah. and it's it's you can literally see people's brains frying, yeah. Just with the, the weirdness of the whole. And you have to thing. you have to confront so many things that you didn't even know were there. Like, I I always knew I was a bit claustrophobic, but you don't know you're claustrophobic until you've got like an eighteen stone hairy chested sweaty, man, sweaty man crushing down <laughs> their horrible hairy chest on your face yeah. while they're trying to inch their body up and separate your arms so that they can do something terrible to your joints um, and you go Jesus Christ and you tap and you tap and they go why have you tapped and you're like it's because I'm panicking because <laughs> you disgust me <laughs> but also it's the, the, how quickly that becomes normal yeah. is, is another weird thing yeah. how quickly it becomes normal that a man's sweat has dripped off his bald head and landed in your eyeball yeah. And you just go, yeah, whatever, yeah. and just carry on. Like, in any other situation, you'd, you'd be doing some sort of, well, I'm revolted and dancing around the room going, ugh. I mean, there's stuff like that in other martial arts. Like, say, there's a there's an academic called Dale Spencer, and he, he talks about body callousing. So if you do an MMA training or Thai boxing training, you just have to toughen up, and it's that simple. So when I was doing mm. a screamer, remember I'd been doing it for maybe six months or a year or something, and I was training, I was sparring with my instructor, and he like battered me, and I was like, 
oh, ow, Jesus, whatever. And mm. then got, got, and he went, you're improving. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah. Three months ago, you've been rolling around on the ground going, <laughs> oh, my ankle. But, um, but so like in a screamer, you know, there's a lot of hitting each other with sticks, but you're not hitting each other with sticks. You're, you're drilling so that... Mm. But when you do accidentally get whacked on the thumb or oh, on the, the fingers, elbow or on fingers the fingers, hurt so you, much, don't they? You get used to it, and you just go, oh, whatever. Yeah. But it's almost like you know you 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 see these chefs in these restaurants and they're getting flicked water and fats getting flicked and at, them and they're not bothered. Yeah. And it's like you learn different reactions to things. But in my experience, they they were all forms of toughening up, becoming tougher. But in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, there's a sort of there are lots of different forms of intimacy that mm. that you have to negotiate that you don't in other martial arts like if, if we're just doing stand-up and I kick you in the head and you go oh then that's it that we're no closer to each other no, no. but if you've crept up my body and choked me and I had to tap then that that's a much more intimate and um, uh, kind of yeah and also both sexes are involved in jiu-jitsu as well so yeah um, so you, you've, you've got the whole like w- women are basically hugging you tight and, and crushing you, crushing, crushing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other, the other thing is is the the male ego and and being tapped by a woman and mm. the, the the you know a, some some men would rather die than admit a woman beat them at something and it's 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 almost like a it's not a conscious reaction. They just, I mean. Th- if they had time to intellectualise it, they probably wouldn't think like that. But yeah. it's just the the initial, um, uh, you know, I'm going to literally throw you across the room yeah. rather than just accept the fact you beat me. Well, I think I think that the, you know, a lot of martial arts have this discourse about no ego, and I think that in the no ego stuff in say in Tai Chi push hands, is different to the no ego in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or other martial arts. Because in, in push hands, your no ego is in, no intention. Like I, I'm, I'm not to just decide what I'm going to do next. Yeah, you yeah. have to just do what feels, what flows. Like, oh, there's, there's the arm bar, or there's the, mm. the, the sweep or whatever. Um, whereas in, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you have to have no ego in the sense of you have to be prepared to, to lose. You just have to come to terms with that or you, can't, you, you won't come back next week. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white belt and being beaten by women who are also white belts. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, I can live with that. Yeah. But some and people then, can't. Yeah. But, like, but you, if you can't, then you don't go back. You don't go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people don't go back. Yeah. Because they, they can't take the, it's not the, necessarily the physical strengthening that's required. I mean, there is a lot of physical strengthening that's required. Like the first year I did jujitsu, I ate every day. And then after about a year, your body just kind of yeah. just gets used to it, and then it doesn't hurt anymore, you know. Yeah. But there's also the mental, the mental side. But at the same time, I don't think it's, I don't think it works for everyone. Um, the, certain people that are naturally tough and hard, and do well, even from their first days in jiu-jitsu, they're good, mm. just because they're yeah super fit, athletic, young. Yeah, rugby players or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, but some of those people never need to lose their ego because yeah, the, the situation never arises for them really, and so they can go all the way up to a high level belt and still be like you know, an absolute tyrant. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it's a universal process in losing yeah. ego. I think it works for some people. 
but I've definitely seen that it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm very used to losing. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, it's funny that, you know, people ask you about different styles and which is the best and blah, blah, blah. And I always say, well, I've never, ever been, been able to beat my instructors. Whatever style I've gone in and tried to learn, it's like, mm. and I don't think you saw Daniel Mraz in your in episode one was talking about the way you kind of pulled into this zone of 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 simulation where where they there's trickery and there's yeah, there's, there's persuasion and that it's like you walk into Darren Brown's studio or something you know you know you're not in control there but nonetheless I, I you know I still I've never I've never beaten my instructor. Because I always choose good instructors. <laughs> the, the reason that I stick with them is because I can't beat them. Yeah. Not that I ever hope to beat them. But I mean, that's what I've always looked for in a, a martial arts teacher. For the first, not 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 the only thing, but the first thing I always looked for was, has he got something he can teach me? Yeah. Like, has he just defeated me easily? Yes, he has. Okay. So I mean, that's good enough for me. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, yeah. I I I don't necessarily care about his lineage, but if he can do that, I yeah. want to learn how to do that. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean that 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 each each new style is like the you know the Chinese sort of elements. Each one thing overcomes the other. So you go to a different style, and you kind of re-traumatized in a different way. Like, yeah. so, you know, you walk in to a club and you go, oh, yeah, I'd like to learn a screamer, and and you know, you oh, I've been doing kung fu and tai chi for all these years, and I've got some taekwondo and blah blah blah, and they just destroy you. You're like, ah, hmm, hmm. back to the drawing board then. And that you think, well, what is it? How? Why did I get beaten? Uh, and that can be quite traumatic in many ways. Like I didn't know that I was quite little until I started doing a screamer. Because <laughs> when we did kung fu and tai chi, there's that. There's a sort of respect, and also even kickboxing and things. It's just like tap, got you there, got you there. Yeah, yeah. There's but in a screamer, they'll just use your. If you're bigger and longer and heavier, just use that. Just crush someone, just push them out of the way. Yeah, yeah. But we never did that in Kung Fu. We were always quite nice and respectful to each other. Trying to use technique instead yeah, of, instead of bullying yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah. But in a screen, they're like, well, you know, sort it out, deal with it. I'm bigger than you, stronger than you. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Hit you with a stick. <laughs> well, everyone's the same height on the ground. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Restart the grind. <laughs> yeah, Master Ken. <laughs> <laughs> he's in a new film or something isn't he yeah, I love Master Ken yeah. I, I love um, martial arts comedy as well anything I find that really interesting to, to ask the question like when you laugh at this what are we laughing at what, what is the joke ourselves I think. yeah I think so and if, if Master Ken it is yeah and if you're not laughing you're part of the problem yeah. I think or you're outside of the circle of intelligibility <laughs> yeah yeah I mean you know, Master Ken is funny to martial artists I think yeah um, I don't know how normal people watch him and laugh because I don't know if they do though I mean do they, they, they I don't, don't, I don't know I think that he is the the you know the, the thinking martial artist like if my mum was watching him would she even get the joke or understand it was a it was a joke yeah I don't know I don't know because I think that if if you if you're not familiar with the the discourses around these different styles then maybe it's just kind of some quite bad physical comedy it's not even that good it's not like Charlie Chaplin or something. No, it's it's not laugh a minute stuff, is it? It's it slowly builds to a a kind of overall humorous effect, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that the next level is we well not the next level in terms of professionalism, but the next stage is where you get to someone like Sensei Seth, 
Exactly. Who, who, who does it all like with no budget and does performs all the different characters himself. You, that's entirely and only makes sense if you're absolutely immersed in the martial arts world. Because, mm. you know... The, it's in-jokes, isn't it? Yeah, just it's nothing but in-jokes. And it's, it's what... He's kind of tapped into what different styles think about each other. And yes. the cliches and stereotypes about different styles. I find that hugely interesting academically. Like, I can reflect on that and, um, you know, I, I want to research that. And I'm actually working on a possible research project with a guy called George Jennings looking at comedy and humour in and around martial arts contexts. Mm-hmm. What are we allowed to laugh at? What are we not allowed to laugh at? What can you say about your own style? When your teacher is present, <laughs> you know what I mean? And what things are just off limits? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certain things are always off limits, aren't they? But I think I've always thought there was a lot of humour just in martial arts in general. Like when you go, like you go to a jiu-jitsu class and you, like someone will put their toe in your mouth yeah. and it's funny. Yeah. Because like, oh, sorry about that. You know, it's like, and you both have a kind of good laugh about it. And there's all moments of humour that occur almost naturally. And then someone will do a technique wrong and land on their head or something. And it's, yeah. it's genuinely funny. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, where, what place does that have in the actual structure of the class? Is it meant to be there? Well, there's different sorts of structures. Well, I mean, I think that in, uh, in some clubs there's an ethos of, of being lighthearted and in other places there isn't. So in some clubs that I've trained and some styles... Like almost like the only person allowed to make a joke is the instructor. And <laughs> yes. If you make yes. a joke or, or you're not just deadly serious the whole time, then you're somehow breaking the, the ethos of the place. And if you don't laugh at his joke. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but because some places are quite toxic or quite insecure in terms of hierarchy, and hierarchy is played out, and there has to be someone who has to be the butt of the joke. We have a, a mutual. Yeah. We have a mutual friend. Who we won't mention, who was always <laughs> the butt of the joke. Yes, yeah. Um, for, and it's, it's that's an awful structure to be in. It's not like, so especially when they accept it and it yeah, becomes part of their that's, identity. That's me then. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, what at what point do you grow out of that and become the yeah. instructor yourself? Where, you know, and when you do become the top of the tree, do you then have a guy that's the butt of yeah. your jokes? Or or do you break the cycle? Yes, <laughs> like you know, to do all ab- do all ab- abuse victims go on to abuse? It's like well, no, they don't. But um, but yeah, so there is a there's a kind of power dynamic to it sometimes. Maybe not always, but like in some places, you there might be sexist jokes. There might be jokes about you know, ableist jokes. There might be class jokes. Like you know, every time I said the word hook, you know, jab cross hook. Mm. They would roll around laughing because I'm the only one who pronounces it correctly. So all these students hook. Hook. <laughs> Jab cross, hook. No, hook. Double okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so you see a lot of different different dimensions in there. It, it, my hunch is that if you analyse, if you can somehow get uh, access, a window on the types of humour that are circulating and the, the, the who's allowed to say what to who, then because you can learn a lot about the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, some instructors use humour as a, in different ways as a, a way of teaching. They'll poke fun at themselves or, or whatever. But I find that quite interesting as well. It's just like a little detail about martial arts that might... 
it's like a, a little thread that I, a little lead that I'll follow and yeah. see if it leads me anywhere. Pull that thread and see what unravels. But it's also like this, the Sensei Seth stuff where they, they laugh about other styles. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm sure you all remember those the instructor coming, oh, you wouldn't believe what I saw in jiu-jitsu the other yeah. day. You know, not like what we do. Yeah, yeah, we or, do proper jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, do, yeah, yeah, or, you know, I, I saw this karate guy and he, he was standing but, like this. Yeah, like, but it can... Like, that'll never work. It can often reflect... It can, it can often relate to your own anxieties and your own insecurities. So, um, I mean, when I started um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and my wife would say, like, I can't believe you started that after the things you used to say about it. And I was like, what things did I say about it? I've, like, blotted something from my memory, yeah. right? And yeah. she said, no, you used to just diss it all the time. I'm like, what? Did I? Okay. But I can remember when we, when we did I think I did, too. I think I used to diss it all the time. Yeah. Just, but I think it was because I was indoctrinated by... By, by the people I was training with, yeah. that it was a waste of time. A waste of time because, yeah. like, if you went on the floor, the the guy's friends would just yeah, come yeah, along, kick, come and kick you in the back of the head. Yeah, but I mean, we, yeah, they probably would, but that doesn't invalidate the whole, <laughs> the whole like you know, like what happens if you accidentally slip over and you're on yeah. the floor and you want to get up? Yes. Like, surely what happens if you're on the floor? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> what happens if the fight starts? You were lying down. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember when um. It would often come up in Eskrima, and so Eskrima is all about it's all about that real front line of, of aggression, and you mm. just as soon as someone's in range, you you destroy them with a weapon if you possibly can. And I remember more than once my instructor saying like, "And you do this, bang bang," and and, and they, they can be as good at jiu-jitsu, they can be as good at Brazilian jiu-jitsu as they like because they're unconscious. And and it's like, what does that ref- that that little witty dig at? It, it an anxiety. It's an insecurity, isn't it? Um, because it's like it, 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 jiu-jitsu touches on the limit point of that style like mm. yes there were people there who were good grapplers and good grand fighters but they all had a, a basis in wrestling or, or judo or whatever and they were, they were fine at it but you know you, t- you probe the limits of the, of the discipline and people get very sensitive about it and they have to ag- attack with humour like yes you, know, you yeah. just cuddle each other you not <laughs> yeah it's just men hugging yeah but I mean, I'm sure I, I'm sure I used to say the same things, but um, you know, you, you just get more mature yeah. as you grow up, and uh, and I, mean, I guess some some people just don't grow up. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like your your last guest, um, uh, Byron, was saying. You know, you have to taste it. You have to try it. You can't just go out I'm not eating that food because it smells funny. You have to taste it. Like you said, you want the taste Brazilian mm. Jiu Jitsu, and then you got then you got the then you got a taste it. for it. Yeah. you know, which is what quite you know it's what happened to me. I tried it and went, oh my goodness, this is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I could do, this I can, is, I can do this every day, this really. Is, this is the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the bit of the Tai Chi class that I really liked, but it's the whole class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I, I tried a bit of judo in the past and the kind of randoi that I really liked was just on your knees. So you're not going to get smashed from a great height into yeah. the ground. And I was like, oh, so... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is mainly, mainly, we mainly just start fighting on the ground. It's mainly the bit where you don't get injured. <laughs> yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I mean, judo's great, but you, don't, you just don't see many old people doing judo, do you? Not really. Not it's kids. Really. They'll teach the kids class, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, but also most judo schools are just kids classes. They don't actually have an adult's mm. class. Because all the adults are broken. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I don't I don't like apart that. from the Olympic village yeah. up in Bath you know where, where the professionals train 
what haven't we covered today? We've done everything. <laughs> There's nothing left. We can leave it there. I think. I think that's. Um, so we've trained. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Chinese martial arts and just loads of other stuff. Got a lot of stuff off our chest. Yeah. Both sleep easier tonight. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. Pleasure having you. Excellent. Thank you for. Um, thank you for the lesson and thank you for the. The opportunity. No problem. And uh, I look forward to reading wherever your research takes you next. <laughs> Cheers, Craig. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com. You can support us by giving our podcast a positive review on iTunes and our page a like on Facebook. Just search for the Tai Chi Notebook to find us. Until next time, enjoy your training. <laughs>